Well, we're halfway through our studies in Psalm 23. And so far, if you've been following over the last few weeks, you'll know that it's all been beautiful and good. We've been hearing of green pastures, quiet waters, the great good shepherd. And now we come to verse four. And for the first time, sadness intrudes on this idyllic picture. It turns out that it's not perfect after all. I do love the way this psalm reads. It's almost as if David can hear someone sniggering at the back of the room as he sings his psalm. It all seems to start off so well. We can imagine the tune is good. The words are great. But as David sings of his shepherd, and as as we've been thinking over the last few weeks, as he sings of belonging and contentment and refreshment and restoration and guidance, he can just hear someone whispering at the back, Hey, David, are you sure? And so in verse four, the note changes, the brakes come on a little, as David anticipates that question. And that's where he begins here in verse four with that little word, even. He guides me in paths of righteousness. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Because this good shepherd is with me right here, even in the hard times as well. You you may know that in older versions, this Psalm 23 is very familiar to some of us in, in in the King James Version. We read from an older version earlier. It's This verse starts with, Yea, though I walk. Yes, though I walk. It's as if David looks reality in the eye and is saying, Oh, yes, I have known dark and profoundly sad days. I do know and I have known what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But yes, yes, even though I have and even though I do, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. I want to try and look with you at this verse four uh, today. And we're going to Break it open by very simply looking at an A, B, C, and D. So my A, first of all, is this. It's important for us to appreciate or or to accept the reality of living in a broken world. I think David here recognizes the fact that life can be hard sometimes. He's certainly not in denial about that. And I I think, in fact, the way he chooses to describe this becomes a sort of metaphor for how life actually is for all of us in this world. Isn't it the case that we all do live in a world that is constantly overshadowed by death? I think this poignant description sums up the groaning and the frustration that all of us experience and that none of us can really avoid. Life is full of joys and and hopes, but, but in all of our joys and hopes, the truth is that sadness is never really that far away. 
David knows and we do know that we live in a deeply dysfunctional world. Sometimes, the, sadly, the temptation to avoid difficulties is so strong that even Christians can sometimes teach or imply that Jesus is simply there to somehow take all of our troubles away. Or worse still, the idea that Christianity is a form of escapism where you kind of do a little bit of a deal with God and your life will then be pain-free. But Jesus said himself to his own disciples the night before he was crucified, in this world, you will have trouble. And how about that passage written by one of the disciples of Jesus, Peter, 30 years later, writing a letter to Christian believers. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes to them, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. The Bible teaches us that God created this world beautiful and good. It starts in a sense like this psalm does. And, and it, but it became broken because of humanity's rebellion against God. A day is coming when God will make all things new. And that is the great hope that Christians know. But the truth is we're not there yet. The process of renewal has begun. But it's not been consummated yet. And we all whether we're believers or unbelievers, we're all caught up in a good world that has gone tragically wrong. And we should heed Peter's advice. We shouldn't be surprised if we face difficulties because life in this world will always be lived in the shadow of death. My, my B, uh, secondly, is that we, we can learn from David here in, in this. Build perspective on God's promises. I, I think in verse 4 of Psalm 23 here, David expresses himself very beautifully. And I want us to see something of his logic here. And the reason I say build is because this is about foundations. What do you build your life on? What, what's the bedrock of your life and your worldview. I, I think sometimes our natural logic works something like this. We begin with, you know, if we, if we like when we were kids, we had building blocks. Um, we, we begin with a first block that says, my circumstances are hard. And then we get another block and we, we build assumptions on top of that. My circumstances are hard. And we then think, God, therefore, cannot be with me. Otherwise, this wouldn't have happened. And then we build another block on that that leads to the, to the kind of despairing conclusion. It's all going to go wrong. And do, do you see what's happening there? The person who thinks like that is beginning with the difficulty and building assumptions one on top of the other and ending in despair. It could have been David. It could be all of us. 
perhaps understandably, but notice here that David does exactly the opposite. Somehow David has learned to start with God and not start with his circumstances. Where David starts is with a block that says, God is with me. And then the block he builds onto that is, therefore, whatever happens to me in this dark valley, it cannot ultimately destroy me. Therefore, I will not fear. So David doesn't start with the difficulties and let that shape his view of God. He starts with God and lets that truth shape his attitude towards his difficulties. Thirdly, my C. Choose carefully faith over fear. What do I mean by that? We've touched on it already. The third thing we can see here is that David refuses to be dominated or defined by fear. It's like he resolves not to let fear be the thing that defines him. I, I think you would agree with me that the idea of being in the darkest valley is one that is universally understood. The, the sense that all is lost. Perhaps everything that I love and the things that make me feel secure are being ripped away. I, we feel anxious. I, I don't know how to deal with the pressure. I, I can't cope with with the stress there's no light at the end of the tunnel i've got a pit in my stomach and it and it aches it feels as if this whole situation is going to overwhelm me or crush me and it's not clear how i'm i i can't see a way out of this problem often it can be unexpected the the shock of bad news Perhaps money worries, health issues, relational problems. The, the, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? But, but here, right here, even in the darkest valley, David gathers himself together and says to himself, I will fear no evil. He, he can't control the difficulties but it seems that he can decide on his response. There is something of a choice here and he chooses not to give in to fear, but to trust God. Even in this darkest valley, he has a choice and so do we, so do we. But I want you to notice, lastly, the the D here. David gives us a reason for making such a choice and my D is this one, depend humbly on God's near presence. I think the root of David's confidence here is not found in him being some kind of hero. He's not looking inside of himself for strength here. The root of his confidence is found in that little phrase here in verse four, for you are with me. God is not watching David from a distance here, hoping that David will make it. 
God is actually right there with him in the darkest valley. Towards the end of this verse four, David returns to the shepherd imagery that he knows so well. And he says here that he's comforted by the rod and staff of the shepherd. It's hard for us to understand this imagery. We don't live in an agricultural culture doing but but it, i think for david's readers and for david himself it would be very well known that a shepherd would tend to carry two pieces of equipment with him and they're both in a sense to do with protection first of all sheep need protecting from their enemies and but sometimes they also need protecting from themselves so first of all the rod is what we might call a short stout club maybe think baseball bat and the shepherd would use this as a weapon here is a shepherd that fights to protect his sheep from their enemies here's here is a shepherd that when the sheep are in the darkest valley he he, he is on guard and fighting for them he's not absent he isn't weak he doesn't run away like a coward he's not hoping for the best the the rod in a sense symbolizes him being in control and still in charge even when the sheep sense that they're in a dark place even when the sheep can't see the way forward they're still safe they're not overwhelmed by the evil that could so easily overwhelm them The second piece of equipment is the staff, and this is what we would call, I think, a shepherd's crook. And this is a lovely symbol of intimate care. I don't think there's any other job that needs a crook. It's specially designed for a shepherd. It's shaped, it's shaped to rescue sheep that get themselves into trouble. It was a long, a long stick with with a sort of curved. Um, hook on the end and the the idea was that the shepherd could could reach down into a hole or or down a, like a a cliff ledge and and if a sheep was stuck he could he could put the hook around the neck and lift the sheep back to safety so not only here does the shepherd fight to keep the sheep safe from external threats but he also fights to care for them and keep them also from self-inflicted danger. And in his darkest days, David calls to mind this image of of his great shepherd, both fighting for him and caring for him. And this is the basis of his comfort. Now, I've, I've, I've kind of laid it out like this, broken it up like this, because I want you to see that the overall thrust of this ABCD overview is ultimately that this dark valley is not a cul-de-sac. This valley is therefore not the end of David's story or his final destination. It's rather, it's a passageway which he will come through and out the other side of. 
David speaks of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't run through it like a madman in a panic. God doesn't give God doesn't give him a helicopter to fly over it. And neither does he sit down and give up and wallow in despair in it. David walks because he knows that his difficulties lead somewhere. We've seen that he's not denying that things are sometimes hard, very hard. But he's confessing here the fact that God is with him and will ultimately bring him through. And that nothing in the meantime will be able to ultimately destroy him. Now, so, some of you know this. I've, in life, I've been the kind of person who likes to get a grip on the worst case scenario. And sometimes I'll find myself asking, what, what's the worst that can happen? And I think the reason the reason we do this is because the, the logic of this is that if, if the worst case is manageable, then anything else must also be okay. So, so as we come to this, Psalm, I want, I want you to think about the fact that David talks here about the shadow of death. I, I want you to think about the fact that actually real death is ultimately our greatest enemy. And more than this, actually, spiritual death, beyond physical death, spiritual death in the sense of separation with God is a terrible enemy. And yet because of Jesus, even death itself, our worst case scenario is not now a cul-de-sac or a hopeless dead end. We said earlier that in a general sense, death has come into God's good creation because of human rebellion. And there is now this kind of great gulf between humanity and God that we cannot bridge. And yet, gloriously, God, in his great love and mercy towards us, he hasn't left us on the other side of a great gulf, but he has reached out from his side and reached out to us in our sin and failure. And he has built a glorious bridge. And he did it by sending Jesus, his eternal son, into this broken world, into this valley of the shadow of death. To illustrate this, one of my favourite writers tells of one of his kids who, when, when their kids were younger, one, one of them had the opportunity to bring the class pet home for the weekend. And the class pet was a little hamster. And on, the, on this occasion, in the course of the weekend, this poor hamster somehow climbed inside a little toy that was a metal red double-decker London bus and the hamsters somehow managed to get up the steps and onto the top deck of this double-decker bus and got stuck it couldn't go back it couldn't turn round it couldn't go forward the family are horrified but the little guy simply couldn't move 
And eventually the dad had to get his little hacksaw and carefully cut off the front of the bus so that the hamster could get out the front, much to their relief. I, I think this is a great illustration of what Jesus has done. Jesus comes into this world and takes our sins on his shoulders and he dies the death that we deserve. But Jesus is not then stuck on the top deck forever in a kind of sort of death cul-de-sac. Jesus went into death itself for us and smashed through it and came out the other side. And this ultimate victory changes everything. With his, thinking about the imagery in this psalm, with, with, with his baseball bat, Jesus has clubbed death itself to death. And yet, at the same time, with his crook, he has gently drawn us to himself despite our rebellion, through his death and resurrection, Jesus therefore both conquers our greatest enemy and at the same time rescues us from our own foolishness. And my point is that if this greatest of victories has been secured, if our worst case scenario has been dealt with, if Jesus has been into death itself, then the shadow of death is surely no issue for him. This means that every other lesser difficulty, every other loss or dark event cannot be a cul-de-sac or a hopeless dead end either. If Jesus will lead us through our actual death, he is well able to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Even as we live in this world, and yes, yes, even though we do walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for God is with us. And we will walk, he, he will walk with us through all of our valleys and our ultimate valley to bring us through them all and to be in his presence forever. Psalm 23 verse 4 then teaches us to appreciate and accept reality, the reality of living in this broken world to build biblically on the promises that God has given to us in his word, to choose carefully faith over fear and to depend utterly on God's near presence and his loving sovereign care. Trust in Jesus our mighty shepherd, our saviour from sin and death and hell, our saviour even from our very selves.
today. Trust in Christ. Do it. Do it now. For, for his glory. And for your good and comfort. As we live in this world. Amen.